0: You're listening to Radio Maria or Christian Borsing Home. We're now presenting to you Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism with Roy Shoman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome once again to Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic Church, or seen the other way around that celebrates the fulfillment, the full realization of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Well I don't know if you listened last week, but last week was a little bit of a, um, it was a happy show, but it was also a dark show because it was about the, um, the predicament that people get into when they, uh, practice pagan religions and the demonic infestation that results and the need to be saved and liberated by Christ from such bondage. And so I thought I would, um look at a kind of brighter side of the same coin today and look at a conversion of a Jewish man who was brought to the light of Christ through the uh, actually uh, apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So my plan is to spend today's show uh talking about and reading the account <coughs> excuse me of Alphonse Ratisbone who was a very anti-Catholic aristocratic Jewish man in France uh, in the middle of the 19th century who had a miraculous conversion in the presence of the Blessed Virgin Mary to the Catholic faith and immediately abandoned everything that his life had held up till then. And uh, I became a first became a Catholic, then became a Catholic priest then founded a religious community in the Holy Land to pray for the conversion of the Jews and um, and then died there. He founded a congregation called the Sisters of Our Lady of Zion. And one reason I wanted to go back to the story of Alphonse Radisbone today is that I just got back about a week ago from leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, something that I love to do and and do about twice a year, and while there, we were able to go to the tomb of Alphonse Radisbone, which is in the garden behind the convent, one of the convents that he founded for the Sisters of Our Lady of Zion in Ein Kerem, outside of Jerusalem. And the entire group was able to assemble at his tomb and take the opportunity to pray for the conversion of the Jews, thereby continuing the uh, the prayer that Alphonse Radisbone had initiated with the founding of the order. So it's been very much on my mind, and um, it's such a beautiful, happy story, and we're getting into the period of Advent, so I thought I would, as I said, spend today's show telling the story, recounting the story. Most of what I say will be taken from my book, Honey from the Rock, um, which 16 Jews find the sweetness of Christ and it's 16 uh, Jewish to Catholic witness testimonies, and one of them is Alphonse Radisbone. So I will simply begin with the beginning of his story. Alphonse Radisbonne was born in 1814 into a wealthy and aristocratic Jewish family in Alsace, France. He was destined for a brilliant career in the family's bank, but at the age of 27, shortly before his marriage, The Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to him. Everything changed. He immediately entered the Catholic Church, became a priest, and spent the rest of his life in the Holy Land, working and praying for the conversion of the Jews. Um, He did leave a rather lengthy letter describing his conversion, and it is from that that I will be primarily reading. So begins, the letter of Alphonse Radisbon about his conversion. Now we're talking about, mm, about the year 1840. I began my schooling on the benches of the Grammar School of Strasbourg, where I made more progress in the corruption of the heart than in the training of intelligence. Then around 1825, I was born on May 1st, 1814. My brother Theodore, on whom great hopes were laid, declared himself a Christian and soon after, in spite of the most fervent pleas and the great sadness which he caused, he went even further. He became a priest, and exercised his ministry in the very same city before the inconsolable eyes of my family. As young as I was, this behavior of my brother revolted me, and I began to hate his cassock and his character. Raised among young Christians who were as as indifferent as I had been, I had till then neither sympathy nor antipathy for Christianity. But the conversion of my brother, which I saw as inexplicable madness, made me to believe in the fanaticism of the Catholics, and I was horrified by it. I was the master of my family inheritance because I lost my mother in infancy and a few years later my father. I was left with a kind-hearted uncle, the patriarch of my family, who, being childless, lavished all his affection. On the children of his brother, and became a second father to me. I will um, skip forward a little bit. This uncle, who very much loved his nephew Alphonse, determined to make him uh, to have him inherit the family banking business. so um, alphonse was was uh, raised with a great deal of money and luxury as a as a young, essentially multimillionaire aristocrat with the promise that when he got a little bit older, he would take over the family bank and become even more rich and powerful. Um, Then I'll go back to Alphonse's words. I thought that we are in the world to enjoy it, and even though a certain prudishness kept me away from the basest pleasures and company, I nonetheless dreamed only of parties and enjoyments which I indulged in with passion. Happily, at this time a good work presented itself to me, which I took warmly to heart. It was the regeneration of poor Jews, as it was inappropriately called, since I now understand that something more than money is needed to regenerate a people without faith. But at the time I believed in this form of regeneration, and I became one of the most zealous members of the Society to Find Work for Young Jews. So I worked hard on behalf of my poor co-religionists, even though I had no religion. I was a Jew in name only. I did not even believe in God. I never opened a religious book, and neither in my uncle's house nor in my brothers' and sisters was the least prescription of Judaism observed. A great void was in my heart, and I was not in the least happy in the midst of an abundance of riches. Something was missing, but this too was given to me or at least so I thought. I had a niece who was destined for me since we were both children. She grew in grace under my eyes, and in her I saw my whole future and the hope of all the happiness which was to be mine. It would be useless for those who do not know her, but those who do know that it would be difficult to imagine a sweeter, more lovable, or gracious girl. She seemed to me an entirely special creature, made uniquely to complete my existence and when the wishes of my entirely entire family as well as our own mutual feelings finally set the date for this so long desired marriage i saw, thought that finally nothing more was lacking for my happiness so here we have him he has the entire world at his fingertips he has wealth and power and influence this wonderful career waiting for him enjoying the pleasures of life and and also tremendously in love with his charming young niece who he was very much looking forward to marrying. Um, uh, but since she was so young it was decided that he should wait a year, she was 16 at the time he was 27, that she should wait a year until she was uh, a year older before they would marry. Back to his words. It seemed appropriate, given that my fiancée was only sixteen years old, to delay the wedding, so it was decided that I would take an extended tour, while awaiting the hour of our union. I did not know in what direction to head, and finally settled on the idea of first going to Naples, then spending the winter in Malta, and then returning via the Orient. Um, that then, So he starts out in Naples, um, and so uh, he finds himself in Naples on New Year's Day. And that, back to his words, That day dawned for me under the saddest conditions. I was alone in Naples without receiving the felicitations of anyone, without having anyone to hug in celebration. I thought of my family, of the good wishes and parties that surrounded at such a time my good uncle. I shed tears, the gaiety of the Neapolitans only added to my sadness. I went out to distract myself, mechanically following the flow of the crowd. I arrived at the central square and found myself, I do not know how, at the door of a church. I entered. A Mass was being said, I believe. Whatever it was, I stayed standing, leaning against a column, and my heart seemed to dilate and breathe in an unknown atmosphere. I prayed in my own way, without paying attention to what was going on around me. I prayed for my fiancé, for my uncle, for my dead father, for the good mother whom I lost so young, for all those who are dear to me, and I asked God for guidance in my projects to better the condition of the Jews, a thought that ceaselessly pursued me. My sadness left me like a dark cloud that the wind breaks up and chases far away, and my entire interior, flooded with an inexpressible peace, felt a consolation like that which I would have experienced if a voice had said to me, Your prayer has been answered. Oh yes, it was answered a hundredfold and beyond anything I dreamt, because the last day of that very month I was to solemnly receive baptism in a church in Rome. But how did I end up in Rome? I cannot explain it. I do not understand it myself. I think I took the wrong street, because it was instead of arriving at the reservation office for Palermo, which was the next place I was intending to go, I ended up at the stagecoach office for Rome. I entered and bought a seat. I'm going to interrupt uh, my reading here for a moment and, and just point out uh, one or two things. One is, it's very, very beautiful that here he um, was dedicated to improving the lot of the Jews. He thought that meant finding jobs for unemployed Jews. But um, the Blessed Virgin Mary heard his prayer and answered it in a much fuller and deeper way that he was unaware of, but a much more meaningful way. And she took that prayer and she responded to it by helping him really better the condition of the Jews, which is what he was praying for, rather than seeking their worldly fortune by helping them reach their eternal fortune through their conversion. So she took that prayer, as he said, to better the condition of the Jews, and responded, your prayer has been answered. And as he said, yes, answered a hundredfold and beyond anything I dreamt. And because she answered it by having him be instrumental in bringing Jews to the joy and to the salvation and to the fullness of the relationship with God, which is only available through the Jewish Messiah, who is, of course, Jesus Christ, available in the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Now, he wasn't intending to go to Rome. He somehow accidentally found himself buying a ticket to Rome. So, we see the very heavy hand of divine providence here. So, he finds himself in Rome, still lonely, still friendless, and now, continuing with his words, On January 8th I heard a voice call my name on the street. It was a childhood friend, Gustave de Boussier. I was happy to see him because my loneliness weighed on me. We went to eat at his father's house, and in this sweet company I felt some of the joy that one feels when, in a foreign country, you rediscover vivid memories of your homeland. As I was entering the room, Monsieur Theodore de Boussier, the eldest son of this honorable family, was just leaving. I did not personally know Baron Theodore, but I knew that he was a friend of my brother. I knew that he had left Protestantism to become Catholic. That was enough to inspire in me a profound antipathy. Nevertheless, as Monsieur Theodore de Boussier was known for his travels in the Orient and in Sicily, it would be advisable for me, before undertaking the same routes, to ask him for some pointers. For that reason I expressed my intention to pay him a visit. He replied kindly and gave me his address. We stood there, and in leaving I complained to myself that now I would have to pay a useless visit and waste some precious time, which I did not have to spare." Um, I'm skipping forward a little bit. So um, anyway, he, he, um, uh, he did visit his, uh, this Theodore de Boussier. No, I, excuse me, let me back up. So this is before, this is, he leaves uh, Theodore de Bussière's house, intending to visit him before he leaves Rome, and he's traveling around Rome with a hired guide. So, and then I will pick up his narrative. Descending from the Campidoglio, my guide had me cross the Jewish ghetto. There I felt an entirely different emotion, one of pity and indignation. What, I said to myself at the sight of the spectacle of poverty, is this then that famous charity which Rome proclaimed so loudly? I shuddered with horror and asked whether, for having killed one man eighteen centuries ago, an entire people deserved such barbarous treatment and such endless discrimination. Alas, I did not know then this one man, and I did not know of the bloody cry that this people had shouted, a cry that I dare not repeat here and that I wish never repeated. I preferred to recall that other cry exhaled from the cross, Forgive them, my God, for they know not what they do. I let my family know what I had seen and felt. I remember having written that I would prefer to be among the oppressed than in the camp of the oppressors. I returned to the Campo d'Oglio, where there was a lot of commotion at the Arocelli, for a ceremony to be held the next day. I asked what was the purpose of all the preparations, and was told that they were preparing the, were preparing for the baptism of two Jews. I was unable to express the indignation that seized me at these words, and when my guide asked if I wanted to attend, I cried, Me, me, attend such an infamy, no, never. I would be unable to restrain myself from throwing myself at the baptizers and the baptizees. I can say without fear of exaggeration that never in my life was I more embittered against Christianity than after my sight of the ghetto. I could not stop blaspheming. I will interrupt again um, just briefly. At this time, which was about 1840, the ghetto in Rome did not simply refer to a part of the city where the Jews lived. It was actually uh, walled off with a gate and all of the Jews, by law, had to live within the ghetto and had to be locked in at night and couldn't leave again before the next morning. There were many other restrictions on the Jews. Since the Jewish population of Rome had grown tremendously over the centuries, but the ghetto had not grown, the conditions in the Jewish ghetto in Rome were extremely um, miserable, with multiple families living in a one or two bedroom, excuse me, one or two room apartment, terribly overcrowded, bad sanitation, and so forth. So that's what so stirred um, the uh, compassion of Radispone when he saw the condition that the Jews were in in Rome, and contrasted that with the stature of Rome as being the essentially the world center of Christianity, um, and therefore, in some sense, should have been the world center of of charity and compassion. Anyway, I just wanted to add that little um, gloss about why his side of the ghetto uh, so upset him. Um, so anyway, he's about to leave Rome, actually, uh, the day after the next, and he remembers that he promised to visit Theodore de Bussier, and... Um, he uh, So, he goes over to his house and is received by Baron de Boussier. And I will now return to the words of Alphonse Radisbon. I imagined Baron de Boussier to be devout in the pejorative sense that one can give to this word, and I was greatly relieved to have the chance to beat my drum about the state of the Jews in Rome. This was a relief for me, but these complaints put the conversation on religious ground de Boussier spoke to me about the grandeur of Catholicism. I responded with the ironies and accusations that I had so often read or heard, yet I put a break on my impious verve out of respect for Madame de Boussier and the faith of the children who are playing at our feet. Finally, Monsieur de Boussier said to me, So, since you detest such superstition, and you profess such liberal doctrines, since you are such a strong and enlightened spirit. Would you have the courage to submit yourself to an entirely innocent test? What test? To wear an object that I will give you, here. It is a medal of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This seems quite ridiculous to you, no? But as to me, I attach a great value to this medal. The proposition, I confess, stunned me with its childishness. My first reaction was to laugh, shrugging my shoulders, for the thought came to me that the scene would provide a delicious chapter to my travel journal, so I consented to take the medal, as a memento to offer to my fiancé. No sooner said than done. The medal was put around my neck, because, um, finally I got the medal on my chest and I burst out laughing. Ah, ah, look at me, Catholic, Apostolic, Roman. It was the demon prophesying through my mouth de Bussier was innocently triumphant in his victory, and wanted to reap all the benefits. And now, he said, you must complete the test. You must every morning and evening recite the memorari a very short but very efficacious prayer that St. Bernard composed to the Virgin Mary. What's with this memorari of yours? I exclaimed. Enough of this idiocy. Um, uh, nevertheless, my interlocutor insisted— He said that in refusing to recite this short prayer, I was rendering the test invalid and that I proved in that very way the truth of the willful obstinacy that the Jews are accused of. I didn't want to attach too much importance to these things, so I said, "Okay, I promise to recite this prayer. If it does me no good, at least it can do me no harm. So he leaves, and then the following day, January 16th, I collected my passport and completed the formalities for my departure. But while doing all these things, I was repeating continually the words of the memorari. How, O God, were these words so strongly, so vividly impressed on my mind! I could not defend myself. They returned continually, like those musical tunes that pursue and irritate you, and that you hum despite yourself, however hard you try to free yourself. Um, so then he, this he's um, in Rome for his last day, and then um, uh, then he uh, meets up with Theodore de Boussier, who starts showing him around Rome, back to the words of Alphonse Ratisbon. So we went around together. Our conversation was about what we were seeing, at times a monument, at times a painting at times the customs of the country, and all these different subjects would lead to the topic of religion. Monsieur de Bussière was so naively insistent with such a lively passion that more than once in the secret of my thoughts I said that if there was one thing that could drive a man away from religion, it was this sort of insistence on conversion. My natural gaiety led me to laugh at the most serious things and the sparks of my jokes ignited an infernal bonfire of blasphemies that I dare not even think of today they are so scandalous. Yet meanwhile Monsieur de Bussière, even while expressing his sorrow, remained calm and indulgent. He even said to me at one point, despite your carrying on, I'm convinced that one day you will be Christian, because there is in you a depth of honesty that reassures and persuades me that you will be enlightened even if the Lord has to send you an angel from heaven. So then they continue going around Rome with uh, de showing uh, Alphonse Radisbon religious sites and Alphonse Radisbon non-stop blaspheming. Um, and, then, uh, and then we find him uh, the, the next day um, he had postponed his departure from Rome. So the, the following day, we're now on January 20th, um, Alphonse Radisbone is reading the papers at a cafe on the Piazza di Spagna. So back to the words of Alphonse Radisbone. By the way, the reason I'm a little bit choppy and moving around is because the account written by Alphonse Radisbone would be too long, I'm afraid, to read in the course of this hour. So I'm trying to edit it down, and that—that that is why you're hearing me sometimes hesitate as I flip forward and see where I can pick up the story. So anyway, it's a couple of days later, he's reading the papers at a cafe on Piazza Spagna. Back to the words of Alphonse Radispone. If anyone had approached me and said, Alphonse, in 15 minutes you will be adoring Jesus Christ, your God and your Savior, you will be prostrate in a poor church, and you will throw yourself at the feet of a priest in a Jesuit convent where you will be spending carnival preparing for baptism, ready to be a holocaust for the Catholic faith. You will renounce the world with its pomps and its pleasures. You will renounce your riches, your hopes, and your own future, and if necessary, you will further renounce your fiancé, the love of your family, the esteem of your friends, your association with other Jews, and you will wish for no more than to follow Jesus Christ and to carry his cross until death. I say that if some prophet had made such a prediction, I would have thought that the only man in the world crazier than he was would be the one who believed such an insanity. Yet it is precisely this insanity that today is my wisdom and my happiness. Leaving the café, I saw the carriage of Monsieur Theodore de Boussierre, it stopped, and I was invited to climb aboard for a drive. The weather was superb, and I accepted with pleasure. Then Monsieur de Boussier asked me if he could stop for a few minutes at the church of San Andrea della Frada, which is nearby, for an errand he had to do. He suggested I wait in the carriage, but I preferred to get out to see the church. Preparations for a funeral were under way, and I asked the name of the deceased who was to receive the final honors. Monsieur de Boussier replied, It is a friend of mine, Count de Lafernaise. His sudden death is the cause of the sadness that you have noticed in me the last two days. I did not know, had not ever seen M. de Lafernaise, and I had no reaction other than the vague discomfort one always feels at the news of a sudden death. M. de Boussier went into the cloister to make some arrangements telling me, Be patient, it will take only... Two minutes. Now let me interrupt and uh, do some little backfilling. Um, a section that I skipped had the fact that this Monsieur de La Lafrenese, who was a good friend of Baron de Boussière had visited him a couple of days earlier and had shared in his concern for the conversion of Alphonse Radisbone, and had agreed to pray fervently for the conversion of Alphonse de Radisbonne excuse me, Alphonse Radisbon, and then unexpectedly died uh, a night or two later, which is why at this point de Boussière is making arrangements for the funeral of Monsieur de Lafernaise. So remember, it looks as though Monsieur de Lafernaise was praying for the conversion of Alphonse Radisbon with such dedication and intensity that he essentially made an offering of his life to bring about that conversion. And uh, God accepted that offering of his life and took his life um, unexpectedly. Back to the uh, words of Alphonse Radispone. The church of San Andrea del Frado Frada was small, poor, and deserted. I was pretty much alone. Uh, nothing attracted my attention. I walked mechanically, looking around without stopping at any particular thought. Then the whole church disappeared. I no longer saw anything, or rather... Oh, my God! I saw only one thing. How could I ever speak of it? Oh, no! Human words are totally incapable of expressing that which is inexpressible. Any description, however sublime, would only be a profanation of the ineffable truth. I was there, prostrate, bathed in my tears, my heart beating out of my chest, when Monsieur de Bussière recalled me to life. I was unable to reply to his sudden questions, but finally I grabbed the medal that I had left around my neck. I bathed with kisses the image of the Virgin pouring forth rays of grace. Oh, it was really she! I didn't know where I was, I didn't know whether I was Alphonse or someone else. I felt so entirely changed that I thought I was another self. I tried to find myself and couldn't. The most intense joy burst in the depths of my soul. I was unable to speak, I wanted to reveal nothing, I felt something solemn and sacred in me that made me ask to see a priest. I was taken to one, and it was only after receiving a direct order that I spoke to the extent possible, on my knees and with trembling heart. My first words were acknowledgment for Monsieur de La Lafrenay's and for the arch arch Confraternity of Our Lady of Victories. I somehow knew for certain that Monsieur de La Lafrenese had prayed for me, but I did not know how I knew it, nor could I count for the faith and the knowledge that I had acquired. All that I can say is that in a moment the blindfold dropped from my eyes, not only a single blindfold, but a whole slew of blindfolds that enveloped me, disappeared rapidly, one after the other, as snow and fog and ice disappear under the influence of the burning sun. I climbed out of a tomb, an abyss of shadows, and I was alive, perfectly alive, but I wept. I saw at the bottom of the abyss the extreme misery from which I had been pulled by an infinite mercy. I shuddered at the sight of all my iniquities, and I was stupefied, moved to compassion, crushed with admiration and gratitude. I thought of my brother with an indescribable joy, but tears of pity mingled with my tears of love. Alas, so many men went calmly down into that pit, blinded by pride or indifference. They descended there to be swallowed alive in the horrible shadows. And my family, my fiancé, my poor sisters, oh, I was torn apart with anxiety. It was of you that I was thinking, oh, you that I love. It was for you that I offered my first prayers. Will you not raise your eyes to the Savior of the world? whose blood erased the stain of original sin. Oh, how hideous is the imprint of that stain! It renders completely unrecognizable the creature made in the image of God. I have been asked how I learned these truths since I swear that I never opened a religious book, never read a single page of the Bible, and that the dogma of original sin, totally forgotten or denied by the Jews of today, had not for an instant occupied my thoughts, I do not think I even knew the name. How then did I arrive at this knowledge? I cannot explain it. All I know is that I entered the Church knowing nothing, and I left it seen clearly. I cannot explain the change except by comparing it to a man who awakens suddenly from a deep sleep or to a man born blind who all of a sudden sees the light of day. I believe that I am telling the truth when I say that without having had any book learning. I glimpsed the meaning and the spirit of the dogmas of the Catholic faith. I felt these things more than I saw them by the inexpressible effects that they produced in me. Everything was happening within me, impressions a thousand times faster than the speed of thought, a thousand times deeper than contemplation, not only moving my soul but turning it around in another direction toward a new goal and a new life. I am explaining myself badly, but how can I enclose in narrow, dry words feelings that even the heart cannot contain?" So I have been reading the words of Alphonse Radisbone about his miraculous conversion in Rome at the feet of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, I am going to take a short break now, we're about halfway through the program, and I usually do that. Uh, When we come back, I will continue reading the account of Alphonse Radisbon. This is a live call-in program, so if anybody wishes to call in, the number here is 866-333-6279. And when we come back from the break, I will um, check the call board, and if there's a call, I will take the call. And um, otherwise, I will simply continue with the reading, and we will hear more about the appearance of the Blessed Virgin Mary to Alphonse Radisbone, converting him from a stubborn, hard-hearted, anti-Catholic Jew to a fervent Jew in the Catholic Church, dedicating the rest of his life to sharing the faith that he found with his co-religionists. So with that, we'll go to a short musical break. You're listening to Roy Schoman on Radio Maria, the show Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism, and we'll be back in a few moments. Hi, welcome back. Um, I asked for calls uh, before the break, and I think I have one. Are you there, Ed? Uh, yes, hello, Mr. Schoman, how are you? Good. Did you have a question or a comment? Yes, just a fast question related to the topic. I apologize. Uh, I I listened to a talk uh, by James Carroll, who's an ex-priest recently, and he argued that um, with the destruction of the Temple, the Jewish people and the Christian people both didn't know what to do, and so the Christian people made up most of the Gospels at that point, um, which, and they made, they invented the idea that Jesus made a new covenant uh, earlier, you know, 40 years earlier,
1: Okay, and, uh, can I respond to that?
0: Imagination. Okay, I'll respond to that quickly, and then I'll get back, and thank you for your call. And uh, one of the w- reasons I think that that can very easily be dismissed is that the same people, remember that um, all of the apostles except for one were martyred, and they were martyred because they would not renounce what they had claimed about Jesus Christ, that he was God and that he had performed these miracles and he did rise from the dead. So they defended the faith to the point of being tortured to death. If they had made up the story... It's extremely unlikely, to say the least, that somebody who made up a story about a false messiah should choose to be crucified upside down, as it was in the case of St. Peter, or tortured to death in other terrible ways, rather than admit that they made up the story. So, um, you know, it's I, I have to get back to the account that I'm reading, but that is, I think, the quickest and easiest uh, way to debunk the claim that the um basically that the the story was fictionalized is the martyrdom of the apostles themselves um okay thank you okay sure um and thanks for the call oh i have another call well i hope i get to the end of the story but i see uh, i have a, a mrs annette on the line so i'll take this call quickly and then i will get back to the account that i've been reading but uh did you have a question or a comment ma'am yeah, yes and i'll make it quick I read your uh, book the, about the sixteen conversions and very impressed with it. I was in the midst of reading it a second time through because it's kinda hard to absorb it all in one reading. And I stuck it up on top of my car because I was loading other things in some of the gun. I <laughs> drove I drove off and lost the book. So oh my. I guess I'll have to get another copy of it. To- Reread it again, I really am impressed by it. Thank you so much okay, thank you uh, thank you and and I'm glad and I without wanting to make any advertisements, probably the cheapest and fastest way to get a copy is uh, you know at that um you know ubiquitous uh, online book company that we all know about that's taking over the world um, Begins they, with a which begins with a that's right i don 't want to advertise them <laughs> because <laughs> they are taking yeah, over the world, right. but we all know about it. Anyway, sure. Right. Let me get back to the okay. story so that I can um, uh, get to the yeah, punchline, so to speak. Yeah. Anyway, and thanks for the kind words about the book. So. Sure. Um, yeah. So anyway, here we go. We're back now. We we've just heard um, Alphonse Radisbone describe his experience. Um, so I'll continue with his words after this. You know, instantaneous conversion took place. The world suddenly meant nothing to me by bias. My bias against Christianity no longer existed. The prejudices of my childhood did not leave the slightest trace. I wanted to bury myself in a Trappist monastery to occupy myself only with eternal things. And also, I confess, I was thinking that my family and many of my friends would think me crazy, would ridicule me. So I thought it best to escape entirely from the world, its affairs, and its judgments. However, my... Ecclesiastical superiors showed me how ridicule, insults, false judgments were part of the chalice of a true Christian. They invited me to drink this chalice and reminded me that Jesus Christ had forewarned his disciples of suffering, torments, and torture. These grave words, far from discouraging me, inflamed my interior joy. I felt ready for anything. I eagerly sought baptism. They wanted me to wait. What? I cried. The Jews who heard the preaching of the apostles were baptized on the spot, and you want me to wait after I heard the Queen of Apostles? My emotions, my violent desire, my supplications touched the hearts of these kind men who had welcomed me, and they promised me to my everlasting joy, baptism. I could barely wait for the day fixed for the realization of this promise. So deformed did I see myself in the eyes of God. Um... And so I, uh, and there I will come to the end of Alphonse Ratisbone's account, his own account. But now I will switch to the account of Theodore de Boussière. Remember him, the Catholic friend who dared uh, Ratisbon to wear the miraculous medal and to recite the Memorari every day. So we're back at the scene where he had dared him to wear the medal. So we're back, you know, whatever, four or five days to that evening. After he had gone, my wife and I looked at each other for some time without saying a word. Then, still upset by the blasphemies to which we had been obliged to listen, we implored God to pardon our visitor, asking our little daughters to say the Hail Mary each night for his conversion. That evening it was my turn to watch before the Blessed Sacrament, in company with a certain prince and some friends, I begged them to join me in praying for the conversion of a Jew. The following day I dined at the Borghese palace with Count La Fournaise. After dinner I told him what was on my mind, earnestly commanding my young Jewish friend to his prayers. In the course of our intimate conversation he told me of the confidence he always had in Our Lady's protection, even in the days when a busy political life had not allowed him much time for prayer. "'Have no fear,' he said. If he says a memorari, he is yours, and many more, too. Radisbone came to my house about one o'clock, and we embarked on some more sightseeing. I was really grieved to see how little impression I was making on him. He was still in the same frame of mind, still hating Catholicism intensely, and constantly making insulting remarks about it. That very night, Monsieur de La Fournaise died suddenly at eleven o'clock, leaving to those who mourned him the memory of a life of exemplary virtue. Having loved him a long time as though he were my father, I shared not only the sorrow felt by family, but the sad duties that devolved upon them in making funeral arrangements. Yet the thought of Rattlesbone followed me everywhere, even as I knelt beside my dead friend's coffin. I spent part of the night with the sorrowing family. I did not wish to leave my friend's remains but I could not banish from my mind the thought of the soul I was anxious to win for the faith. When I mentioned my predicament to Father Gerbet, he urged me by all means to carry on the work I had begun. In doing so, he said, I would best fulfill the wishes of my departed friend who had prayed so fervently for the conversion of the young Jew." So then um, de Bussière goes back to running around with uh, Alphonse Radisbon. And then we skip to the point where it's immediately prior to the event in Church of San Andrea del Frada. By the way, I will simply point out it seems totally clear that Monsieur de La died suddenly, that his dying suddenly was um, very deeply related, causally related with Ratisbon's conversion. Anyway, to the, back to the words of de Bussier now. At about one o'clock, I had to go and make some arrangements at the church of San Andrea della la Frada for the funeral ceremony fixed for the next day. Seeing Ratisbon coming down via Condotti, I invited him to accompany me and wait a few minutes while I attended my business and then continue on with me. We entered the church. Noticing the funeral preparations, he asked for whom they were being made. For a friend I have lost, I replied, whom I loved very much, Monsieur de La Fornaise. He then began to walk up and down the nave. His cold, indifferent gaze seemed, seeming to say, "What a frightful church!" I left him and went off to the sacristy to make some arrangements for the funeral. I could not have been away much more than ten minutes. When I returned, I saw nothing of Ratisbon at first. Then I caught sight of him on his knees in the chapel of Saint Michael the Archangel. I went up to him and touched him. I had to do this three or four times before he became aware of my presence. Finally he turned toward me, face bathed in tears, clasped his hands together, and said with an expression that no words can describe, how that friend of yours must have prayed for me. I was petrified with astonishment. I felt what people must feel in the presence of a miracle. I helped Radice to his feet and led him, almost carrying him, out of the church. Then I asked him what was the matter and where he wanted to go. "'Take me wherever you like,' he cried. "'After what I have seen, I shall obey.' I urged him to explain his meaning, but he was unable to do so. His emotion was too strong. Instead, he took hold of his miraculous medal and kissed it with passionate emotion. He broke into tears at the thought of all the heretics and unbelievers. Finally, he asked me if I thought him mad." Of course I am not mad, he went on, before I had a chance to speak. I am in my right mind. Oh God, of course I am not mad. Everyone knows that I am not mad. Gradually this delirious emotion subsided, and he grew calmer, and now his face was radiant, almost transfigured. He begged me to take him to a priest, and he asked me when he could receive holy baptism, for now he was sure that he could not live without it. I took him at once to the Jesu, to see Father de Villefort, who invited him to explain what had happened. Radisson drew out his medal, kissed it, and showed it to us, saying, I saw her, I saw her, and again emotion choked his words. But soon he grew calmer and spoke, I shall give his own words. I had only been in the church a moment when I was suddenly seized with an indescribable agitation of mind, I looked up and found that the rest of the building had disappeared. One single chapel seemed to have gathered all the light and concentrated it in itself. In the midst of this radiance I saw someone standing on the altar, a lofty shining figure, all majesty and sweetness, the Virgin Mary just as she looks on this medal. Some irresistible force drew me toward her. She motioned to me to kneel down, and when I did so she seemed to approve. Though she never said a word, I understood her perfectly. That is the end of the quote of Ratisbon, Back to de words. Brief as his account was, Ratisbone could not utter it without frequently pausing for breath and to subdue the overwhelming emotion he felt. We listened to him, Awe mingled with joy and gratitude. One phrase struck us especially, so deep and mysterious it was. She never said a word, but I understood her perfectly. From this moment on, it was enough to hear him speak. Faith exhaled from his heart like a precious perfume from a casket that holds and but cannot imprison. He spoke of the real presence like a man who believed in it with all his being, like a man who had experienced it. At the altar of the Blessed Sacrament the real presence of Jesus so overwhelmed him that he was on the verge of fainting, and I was obliged to take him away so terrible did it seem to him to remain before the living God, stained as he was with original sin. He hastened to take refuge in the Lady Chapel. Here he said, I have no fear, for I feel protected by some boundless mercy. I asked him for more details of the miraculous vision. At first he had been able to see clearly the Queen of Heaven appearing in all the splendor of her immaculate beauty, but he had not been able to bear the radiance of that divine light for long. Three times he had tried to look up to her, and three times he had found himself unable to raise his eyes higher than her hands, from which blessings and graces seemed to fall, like so many shining rays. O God, he cried, only half an hour before I was blaspheming and felt a deadly hatred for the Catholic religion. All my acquaintances know that, humanly speaking, I had the strongest re- reasons for remaining a Jew. By becoming a Catholic, I was sacrificing all my earthly hopes and interests, and yet I am not mad, so they must believe me. When he, when somebody commented that he had seen a vision of Our Lady, Radisbone's response was, A vision. I saw her herself, as she really is in person, just as I can see you standing before me now. So ends the account. I will say that this apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Rome is to this day the only church approved apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Rome. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Alphonse Ratisbon immediately entered the Catholic Church. He soon after joined the Jesuits and began studies for the priesthood, but after ordination he requested and was given permission to leave the Jesuits in order to move to the Holy Land and work for the conversion of the Jews there. With his brother Theodore, he founded a congregation there, the Sisters of Our Lady of Zion, specifically to pray for the conversion of the Jews. He is buried in the garden behind the convent of the Sisters of Our Lady of Zion in Ayn Karem, outside of Jerusalem. And there we had the great privilege and pleasure of praying at his tomb just about 10 days ago to join his prayers for the conversion of the Jews, for the true welfare of the Jewish people. So I will close the show with a a plea or a request that uh, perhaps if you be so moved since we all, since the entire world, the Entire Christian world owes the greatest gift that God ever gave mankind, which is the second person of the most holy Trinity, uh, come to earth as a man, the God man Jesus Christ, through the Jewish people. That finally, after a wait no less futile than long, as the First Vatican Council said, the favor is returned, and that the Jews too finally recognize their own long awaited, long prayed for Messiah Jesus Christ. And as we see in this account, for them to receive the grace of conversion will require the prayers and even the sacrifices of many good, faithful Catholics. And so with that that plea, I will leave you. You've been listening to Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria with your host, Roy Shoman. It's time to say goodbye for now. I hope you join us again next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.